Thank you for the reading of the word of the Lord. And what a great song we sang just before the reading. A mighty fortress is our God. Thank you very much indeed. Shall we pray? A mighty fortress is this God who has called us by his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. And so, Father, as we look into your word in Acts 7 and Acts 8, that please your Holy Spirit will change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, after Easter, we are resuming um, our time in the book of Acts. So, in Acts, we see how, if you remember at the very beginning, we see how the Lord Jesus is working. He's working in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's advancing the kingdom of God. The gospel is being preached. Miracles are happening. And people are being pointed to, to Jesus. Jesus is being pointed to, to people that they look to Jesus in the world. And it is happening this time around so far. We see a lot of it happening in Judea, in Jerusalem, among the Jews. And then as we journey on, we see how Jesus invites the church to join him in this making of disciple makers. That, that is what he had said. You remember in Matthew, he called them, he equipped them and said, we're going to make disciple makers, right? And then they sort of joined together. And Jesus hasn't left them. And what he said, he kept and he is keeping. He says to the church, come, participate with me. And that is exactly what is happening. And now in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8 the calling to come and participate in this disciple making is still happening but this time the Holy Spirit is showing us that it is going to happen also in a very strange way. What is that? We are going to join Jesus. We have been called to join Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples through suffering. The people of God are being shown that the advancement of the gospel of the kingdom of God among God's people, through God's people, is also going to happen through suffering. It is going to bring suffering to God's people. And if we are very clear, if we are very clear on what to expect as we join in in the making of this disciple in being faithful um, to it. If we are very clear, we'll not be surprised when suffering comes because we're following Jesus. And then we would also be able to thrive. You'll be able to, when you see a plant that is thriving, just check a plant by close to a water side. Even if there is hamatan, they thrive, they, are, they flourish, they are green, whatever happens. 
So if we are very clear from these scriptures about what to expect, we will thrive even in suffering. We'll thrive in following Jesus and accomplishing the Great Commission. So from these passages, I'm, going to go, I'm not going to go to every verse, but I want to mention four things. Number one, this invitation to participate in what Jesus is doing in the world by his grace. What a privilege. We are to have a certain expectations, and there are four of them at least from here. The first one is we should know the expected people, the expected people that we are reaching, the expected people, the expected problem, the expected response. This is response from us. Response to the problem. And then the last one is the expected outcome. If it doesn't make sense, don't worry. I would explain in just a moment. So first, the expected people. Now, you need to understand what is going on in Stephen. Uh, the passage we read for us, Brother Stephen, who is a deacon in the church. He had, God had been doing this incredible, miraculous signs and wonders through him. And he has been preaching the word with such power that there were these, um, I think, converts to Judaism who are from Africa and some from Asia who were there around that time and they started debating him. And then they couldn't stand his wisdom. The spirit has so filled him that he was powerfully clear in what he was saying and what he was doing. Now, the people he's dealing with, Stephen is dealing with, are religious people. He, don't think about secular people, non-Christians who say they don't believe in the existence of God. Here, he's dealing with religious people. Now, in our context here in Accra, in Ghana in general, hardly do you come across people who say, we don't believe in the existence of God. Everybody believes in the existence of God. And everybody professes God. So within our context to like Stevens, we are dealing with religious people. Now don't, if maybe if you are in somewhere in the West, in Europe, you may be dealing with people who are totally secular, who might say they don't believe in God. That, that is a different matter. I want us to think about here where the Lord has placed us at this time. We deal when we are being sent to religious people, people who profess God, who profess to know him. And that is the people. If you read um, chapter 6, verse 9, verse 12 to 15, you would see the sort of people that Stephen was dealing with. And the concern of these people was this. Remember, they are people of the synagogue. They were concerned about the temple and the law. And they accused Stephen of having spoken against the temple. The temple is everything for us as Jews. Without the temple, we are nothing. It's like the Ashanti saying that the golden stool is what is our identity. Without the golden stool, we are nothing. Or well, something similar. The temple of God. The temple of God. Don't speak against the temple. And then don't speak against the law. And by the law, they were not just talking about the law of Moses. They were also talking about, as the Lord Jesus accused them in the gospel, the tradition of the fathers. 
Stephen is speaking, and for some reason, he had been saying something about Jesus of Nazareth in connection with the temple. So the accusation was that he says he would destroy this temple, destroy it in three days. And then he's saying something against the law. We are not very clear as to exactly. So chapter 7, verse 1, Stephen is asked, are these charges true? <laughs> You're speaking against the temple. You're speaking against the law. We are told about this weird Jesus of Nazareth. Are these charges true? So Stephen is going to answer that question. But the way he answers it is incredibly amazing. He goes on to, I think, what is the longest sermon in Acts. So he begins to explain. And this is the first thing that he says. I will put it in my own words. He says to them, you have totally fathers and brothers and sisters and people of God here in Jerusalem. You have totally misunderstood God and the gift of the temple and the gift of the law and the purposes of them. You have misunderstood it. And then he starts from Abraham. And he's going to run through to the prophets. And he's going to explain what is going on in their hearts. And so he said that, listen... From Abraham's time, you know Abraham was somewhere and God called him to move away and then he settled somewhere and his father died and then he moved on and all these things that was happening. From Abraham's time to the time of the prophet, this is how God has operated. God has always, in his mercy, taken the initiative to move towards his people to rescue them. God has always done that. And think about it. He has always done that even when the temple didn't exist in Abraham's time. And then he talks to them even about Moses' time. And then he lands on Solomon. He says, it is in Solomon's time that the temple was built. But all the time, God has been providing the way of salvation for you people. God always moved towards his people from um, um, verse 1... The, Chapter 7, verse 2 onwards, he's explaining these things. And then he says, but there is a problem, fathers, there is a problem. The problem is, even though God in his mercy always moves towards his people and he calls them to repentance, to return to him, his people always reject him. The people of God, even though they have these religious artifacts, like the temple of God, before them, they always reject God. They always wouldn't respond to God in faith and repentance. Their hearts wouldn't turn. They would do religion, and if you greet them in the street, they will say, Nyamiadum, but they don't mean it. They don't even understand it. By the grace of God, I'm fine. Religion. They always reject God. And then Stephen begins to show them in chapter 7, verse 9. He says, the patriarchs, the twelve, have you forgotten that they sold Joseph? Joseph was the way of salvation the Lord in his wisdom was providing for them. He has showed them that in the dreams of Joseph. But they sold him. They rejected him. They rejected God's means. And then look at it, chapter 7, 23, right through to 29. You can just scan it. I'll just read a verse for us. <laughs> When they were in slavery and God was raising Moses, and Moses came to them at first, what did they say? 
Who made you a judge and a ruler over us? They rejected God's means of salvation as well. So let me read for us what they say here to Moses. Verse 35, this Moses, whom they rejected, say, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appointed him in the burning bush. So he's making the point, and the point is, God has always moved towards his people to rescue them, to save you from judgment and condemnation and hell and his wrath and Satan, and the world, but his people are stubborn. They always reject it, and their own history will tell. And verse 52 of chapter 7, what does it say? It says that ultimately, they rejected even the righteous one, the one that all the salvation, all the Moses and the Joseph, they were pointing to. He is the ultimate, even that one too, the Lord Jesus they rejected him. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law, the same law that you claim to guard and cherish and you talk so much and argue so much about. You who claim to receive the law as de delivered by angels and did not keep it. That's the point he's making to them all this while. So for all this long, long sermon, they are listening to him <laughs> looking for a point that they're going to nail this guy. They were not listening to him to repent. They were listening to Stephen very carefully. Where is he going with these stories, with these long sermons? Let's be patient. He will finish. Uh, whatever it is, we'll know exactly what he's up to, this young man. Remember, he was a young man. Now, why did the people of God, this is what Stephen is doing, why did they reject the same, what a temple stands for? They reject. God provides a rescuer. They reject. They persecute. They kill him. To the point that when he ultimately comes to him, in the, to them, in the person of Jesus, the righteous one, they nail him and murder him. And then he tells them why they did that in verse 51. And that they didn't like. Oh, such truth they didn't like. Verse 51, he described them as you stiff-necked people. Look at me, please. If you are stiff-necked like me, it means that you can't turn my neck this way. You can't turn my neck that way. I'm stiff-necked. This is how it ought to be. For us, it's our religion. It's the temple. It's the law. This is what we uphold, the tradition of the fathers. We're not going to listen to anyone. We're not even going to pay attention. Might the spirits be leading and changing us in some shape or form? No. Stiff-necked people. They wouldn't look at Jesus. They would look at what they believed. And then he describes, you uncircumcised of heart and ears. If this was taking place in the Ghanaian culture, Christian people would turn to Stephen and say to him, Umwadie, you don't respect. You were talking to the elders and you were saying all these truths. But he was saying the truth from the scriptures. He was telling their own history. 
Don't think that those people did any differently from what we would do today. When the truth was coming and he described them for exactly what they are. And you might think Stephen, Stephen was looking down on them. We'll see that that's completely the opposite. He was just speaking God's word to them. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. And if you're uncircumcised in heart and ears, it means that your heart is spiritually hard. You wouldn't let any other thing permeate than what you have believed. You know our religion. This is how we go to church. Here, this is how we do it. Even when the Lord is calling us to repentance and faith in Jesus, we give excuses why we cannot repent. And then he says, you resist the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Hard accusations. You resist the Holy Spirit. Who can resist the Holy Spirit? Well, but he said they resist the Holy Spirit. Because they are stiff-necked, they wouldn't look at Jesus, turn anywhere except their own confidence in their religion. And their hearts are so hard in receiving the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. Because he is the very reason they are persecuting them, him. And so what is the expected problem as a result of that? So Stephen has been used, remember this oh, Stephen has been used so powerfully to speak to these people. Even in chapter 6 verse 15, we are told that his face was shining like the face of an angel. The Holy Spirit was so feeling this guy, had filled this guy so much that his face was as bright. It was as when Moses was descending the hill with a commandment, and his face was shining that they had to cover. Stephen had that experience as he spoke the law of Christ, if you like, to these people. So you would have thought they would see all these things and there wouldn't be any problem. And we are told in verse 54 to verse, 50, uh, verse 60, what happens? They stoned him. They stoned him away with this man. They dragged him out. They gathered stones. Can you imagine? Let me be a little bit graphic. And they were not kind to say that we're going to throw the stones at his legs so that it will not hurt. Anywhere that it hit from head to toe. Stephen. Deacon Stephen. Full of the Holy Spirit with his face shining as an angel and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He wasn't doing anything bad. He was giving to people the words of life. Persecution at the hottest. I don't know whether you've had that experience in uh, miniature forms, whether it's at your workplace or... Um, um, I dare say some of you who may be married to non-Christian spouses or even within your own extended family where sometimes you are dragged verbally just for speaking about Jesus and Jesus by the power of the Spirit questioning people's confidence in their own self-righteousness. Ah, people don't like that. And so if the Lord Jesus calls us to participate in disciple-making, brothers and sisters, persecution is part of the package. 
the expected response if these things are happening, what should Stephen do? What should he have done? What is the expected response? Not from them, from us. From those called to participate in this. Number one, we see from Stephen, verse 56. Stephen fixed somehow, the Lord opens his eyes and then he sees the Lord Jesus in a throne room of God. This is, this, is, this is moving, even emotionally. He sees the Lord Jesus as he's being stoned in the throne room of God. The throne room of God is like the place where um, judgment takes place. Uh, where um, it's, the, it's like the court. It's not just, you know, in African tradition, we do not have the court and then the executive and that sort of thing. The chief's palace is the place where you make your case. It's the place where they settle matters, isn't it? And when the chief has listened and the chief pronounces, the king pronounces, it is done. There is no separation of powers here. This is where it takes place. And so this is the throne room Stephen sees. And then he sees something that doesn't usually happen. When the Lord Jesus had finished everything, do you know what he did? He sat at the right hand of God. This idea of right hand of God, the place of authority, the throne room of the Godhead. He sat, sat in his throne. It is finished. He's done it. But when Stephen saw him, he was standing in the throne room, in the law courts, in the court of God. When you stand, it means that you are making a case. You are advocating for someone. You are commending someone. You are interceding for someone before the throne of grace. Jesus was seen standing. And they couldn't see because it wasn't about them at this point. It was about Stephen who is suffering for the sake of the gospel. Jesus was standing and making commendations on behalf of Stephen before the throne room. Jesus was standing, commending, and interceding, and speaking of this faithful servant who has stood for the gospel, who has stood for disciple-making, even to the end. He was standing. We don't know what he was saying, but we understand what standing means in the throne room of God. Verse 56. And he said, Behold, I see heavens open, and the Son of Man, the man with all authority, standing at the right hand of God. Standing at the right hand of God. So that is the first thing. Fix your gaze on when you're suffering on Jesus' commendation. Let him reveal to you more of what he means to you, even if you are suffering for his name's sake. That is not the final word. It is what he says about you. It is what Jesus has done and says about us in the throne room. His commendation is what matters. Sometimes see how we play it. If there are people who Let's say they give us money or support or something. We become so concerned about what they think about us, isn't it? 
that we will do everything to still stay in the good books. So Stephen didn't care. Because you see, the people he was dealing with were the top religious leaders of the time. These are the people you want to find favor with because they can kill you and they can lift you up, humanly speaking. He just could care less because Jesus revealed to him the recommendation that matters most. It is Jesus standing in the throne room, the right hand of God. So imagine Stephen being stoned. He keeps his gaze there. He says to them, and then the stone hits him here, and then blood is using. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The second thing, verse 59 is to trust in Jesus even to the end. How do you handle these persecutions when they are coming at us? We seek to follow him faithfully. Well, trust him to the end. Listen to what Stephen says in verse 59. Verse 59, he says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This is someone who trusts someone even to the end. And he believes that this death is not the final word. Receive my spirit. You have always kept me. Now receive my spirit. Trust him to the end. Trust him. And then he does something that only the Lord Jesus has done so far. That is what it means to follow him. Verse 60. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Remember the cross? Somebody once prayed that prayer. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And then as he has said that, he died. What a witness that this invitation to make disciple makers is not, it's not a fiction. It's not just something that it is a participation in Jesus' life. That is what he's about. It, will, it is going to bring persecution. Persecution, let it come. Because as Stephen, when the heaven's curtains were moved, the Lord Jesus was standing for his faithful. Finally, the expected outcome. Then I'll finish. What is the outcome of all this? Stephen, you've gone to make yourself big mouth. You've gone to speak big theology. Now you are being killed. So what? Going to argue with the gurus. Now you are being killed. The gospel of the Lord Jesus, the kingdom of God, will advance even in death. So you would have thought that Stephen's death means that ah, everybody is going to be afraid now. Is there any fruit at all from this long sermon? The answer is yes. How do we know? Two things we are told by Luke in this. Two things. The first one is, have you seen that towards the end of Chapter 7. Where is it? Ah, verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Did you cut that? And then in verse 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. 
and Saul approved of his execution. What is he doing by introducing Saul? It's, it's not just because in chapter 9 he's going to talk of him. But this is what is going on. Luke wants us to understand that Saul saw it. Saul who will later become Paul. He saw it. He saw how this witness of Jesus, this follower of Jesus spoke and was faithful and how he died. Like the way the Lord Jesus himself died. And it's been discovered that that had a big effect on Saul. So Saul never got converted immediately. He didn't go, oh, wow. But later, after the Damascus Road experience, when he encounters the Lord Jesus, when you examine all Paul's teaching, they are shaped by Stephen's teaching. Go and look at it. It will take you some years. But the way he talks about Jesus and suffering and all that, it's not something he's just speaking from theory or just from his own experience. He saw it first in a certain young man called Stephen. And that is going to shape. So you think that his suffering produced nothing. Stephen changed the world. Because he's going to have an impact on a man called Saul. And that Saul will be converted to Paul. And he is going to change the world by the gospel. And then secondly, we are told that the believers across in um, the same chapter 8, verse 1, they all scattered, isn't it? They all scattered into Judea, Samaria, so far, except the apostles who remained. What was the instruction of the Lord? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Stephen's death brought persecution that is going to make this happen. Whether through suffering or no suffering, Jesus is going to advance the kingdom. That is exactly. Have you seen how we can have a different perspective of our suffering if we are following Jesus? It is never wasted. It will never be wasted. He will advance his gospel through that. Let's sing again uh, Martin Luther's uh, song, A Mighty Fortress is our God. Shall we stand and sing it? Even if you don't know how to sing it, just follow the words and let's sing it together.